Happy Friday, Story Fam. Yeah, in spite of all the reasons we have to feel otherwise this week, Afghanistan, uh, COVID, and the variants, and um, they continue to wreak havoc on us. Tropical storm that's in the Gulf of Mexico. I know there's lots of reasons to feel otherwise, but I still believe today is a happy day. Like you, I've been worn out by the persistent pattern of one crisis after another. But you guys, we have Jesus. Don't ever forget the significance of those three words. Because we have Jesus, nothing is too scary, too hard, too painful, or too uncomfortable for us. No, in these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's Romans 8.37. With that in mind, I've got three quick announcements to keep all of us on the same page this week. First of all, in response to the most recent spike in local COVID-19 cases, and hospitalizations, St. Luke's has um, reissued its mask up policy for everyone who attends in-person worship services on Sundays, regardless of vaccination status. So this includes us at the story at both campuses. So if you're planning to uh, worship in person with us this weekend, and I really hope that you are, go ahead and, and bring a mask with you or pick one up as you enter the lobby. We would be happy to accommodate you there. So I know it's hard and it's not what any of us want to hear. Um, hopefully it's just for a few weeks. We will hope to see a break in this trend of the Delta variant cases. Second, I have had a great time preaching about our church's core practices this month. If you missed last Sunday, be sure to visit the Stories Facebook page where you can see a video that we shot, our media team shot of two members, uh, Ryan and Gail, who told their story of faith. It was an incredible video. I think everybody should see it. So uh, just six minutes of your time, go ahead and hop on over to the Stories Facebook page. Third, uh, by now, you've probably heard about the Stories Ask Me Anything message series that's starting in September. Uh, a few weeks ago, we asked y'all to start submitting your questions that you'd like me to address in a sermon next month, and you guys really delivered. <laughs> We've received dozens and dozens of really amazing and slightly intimidating questions and then we asked everyone to vote for their favorite questions online. Well, I'm really too excited to announce that we have a winner. On Sunday, September the 5th, for part one of Ask Me Anything, my message will tackle this question from one of you. The question is, how can two equally committed Christians read the same Bible and reach very different conclusions on some big issues? That is a toughie. <laughs> uh, I think that's the technical term for that question. So with dozens of great questions coming in and only four Sundays in September, you can imagine there's no way for us to address everyone's inquiries with our sermons. So I thought it might be fun for us to tackle some of these questions in my Friday reflections. You'll see uh, in just a minute, I'm going to tackle one of the other questions that came in. And we actually received a few questions on the subject of hell. So I figured that might be a good place to start with this deal we're going to be doing for the next month. It's going to be a really fun series, and I hope to share it with all of you in person at the Story Church or uh, online, wherever you tune in. I love you so much. Let's get to this week's reflection. Is hell a real, fiery place, or is it just a metaphor? That's the question. So what do you think about hell? Does it exist? And if so, who do you think belongs there? Over 70% of American adults believe in heaven, but only barely half believe in hell. And when many people think about Satan and hell, they picture an imaginary lair governed by cartoonish tyrants in red tights. On an episode of the NBC hit show about heaven called The Good Place, 
the lead characters visited the bad place, which is hell, for the first time. And their hell included a bunch of really annoying people. Uh, the first person who flossed her teeth in a shared office space, for example, was in hell. The first white guy to wear uh, his hair in dreadlocks, he was in hell. The first man to ever send an unsolicited picture of his nether regions to a woman was in hell. And people who say really whiny things like, I need a vacation from my vacation, also are in hell. We Christians need to understand, as funny as uh, that show really was, we need to understand that our view of hell sounds really insane to most people in the world. We shouldn't make assumptions otherwise. I mean, they hear us saying basically three things. First, that God created everything. Second, that he knows everything. And third, that he must have created hell knowing that most people were going to end up there being tortured forever. Our justice system has a word for that, premeditated. <laughs> so in this view, God didn't just allow for hell. It was part of his master plan. And I would venture to guess that this concept of hell or something like it is one of the three or four most common theological reasons people often walk away from Christianity. And it might be a stumbling block for some of you as well. So let's talk about it. How do we make sense of hell? A good place to start would be by exploring what Jesus said on the topic. He spoke about hell more than everyone else in the Bible combined. Think about that for a minute. He spoke incessantly about the fires of hell. People often want to know, do I have to believe that hell is an actual place of fire? And to that I usually say, no, I don't think you necessarily do. I think the fire part is kind of a metaphor and that often brings them a little relief. But then I tell them, I really lay it on them after that. I say, look, let me just say, I believe that the fire is a metaphor for something much worse, something far more intense than just fire. And it's something real. And uh, yes, you know, something physical, some, a, a place that is forever. Now, to understand this idea, you really have to grasp two concepts in the Bible. The first is sin, and the second is eternity. Christians believe that people are made to build our identity around love and the, the love and the presence of God. Basing your identity on anything other than God, anything lower than Him, even if it's something that's good, like family or religion, anything that can be akin to sin, because eventually anything that's not God, that's treated as though it's God, is going to wear you out and tear you apart. Sin can work in this way a lot like an addiction does. You know how addictions work according to the law of diminishing returns? And uh, as time goes by, you need more and more of the substance you're addicted to, but you feel less and less of the satisfaction that you once did. You begin to see other people as pawns in your game to get your substance of choice. And eventually you turn on the people who stand in the way of your addiction. And you isolate yourself. You go into denial. You lose touch with reality. That's exactly how sin works. More than any other substance or highest good, you know, that, that you might think of. Jesus warned people about money. And, and he said repeatedly that the love of money that's in the human heart could easily land us in hell. He said that the love of money is the root of all evil. And if you ever wonder why he and the Pharisees couldn't get along, it wasn't just about their religious tendencies. Luke 16, 14 says clearly it was because the Pharisees loved money. And when you love money, you'll always end up needing more of it. But every time you get more of it, you're going to feel less and less satisfied with how much you have. That's the nature of sin. That's how it works. 
Now, once you understand sin, the second concept to grasp is that of eternity. Christians believe that after our bodies die, part of us lives on. If we are addicted in this life, and we say that addictions always worsen over time unless addressed, the question becomes, what does the addiction of our sin look like in eternity if left unaddressed? C.S. Lewis illustrated it well. He said, now there are a good many things that I should not worry about, if I'm only going to be alive for 80 years or so, but which I better worry about if I'm going to go on forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are getting worse so gradually that only a few people will notice, but they might be absolute hell in a million years. Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it, from whatever that thing is, right? You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop. But there may come a day when you can no longer stop. And then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing, which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. This is what the fires of hell represent in the Bible. Instead of appreciating money, you start to love it. And you start to hate those who stand in your way of getting more of it. Increasingly, your, your interactions with other people become more and more about money. You value other people based on how much money they have. And you value yourself based on how much of, of what money or whatever you're looking for that you actually have. And slowly, all your thoughts and all your interactions with others begin to revolve around your idol. In this case, revolving around money. You think increasingly about how to get more of it, how to protect the money that you have. And the Christian idea of hell isn't that of an angry God sending people there arbitrarily. It's just that of a man who counts his money so often that one day he wakes up without a name, without an identity, without any hope. That's what Jesus meant by fire. The quote from Lewis ends this way. There are only two kinds of people, those who say, Thy will be done to God, or those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Biblically speaking, hell is a freely chosen identity based on something lower than God going on forever. Just like addicts who are so deep in their addiction, that they can't imagine life without their substance of choice, those who are in hell can't imagine their existence elsewhere. Can you see yourself? Can you see in yourself the tendency to build your identity around something less than God? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your career. If your career ended tomorrow for whatever reason, would you still be yourself? Or if you lost everything you had overnight, would you know who you are in the morning? Maybe it's marriage, you know, love, romance, marriage, family. If your spouse left you tomorrow, would you still be the same person? Would you still be someone in your mind? Or if you're single and ready to mingle and looking forward to getting married, but it never happens, who will you become as you age? Youth and looks can be idols too, by the way. If, God forbid, you have some terrible accident tonight and your face is forever irreparably scarred, would your identity be disfigured along with your face? Whatever that thing is for you, that, that idol, that one thing, can you at least begin to see how it functions somewhat like an addiction does and how 
In eternity, it could have the potential to become an all-consuming fire that could burn you up in hell. At some point, we all have to ask ourselves, what's it going to take for me to stop being that guy or that girl? What's it going to take for me to stop being the wealthy guy or the popular guy or the successful woman or the beautiful woman or the family man or the trophy wife or the super mom? What will it take for you to smash your idols to declare I am not my money or my looks or my marriage or my career? Listen, avoiding hell is not about being scared enough to go to church on Sunday or to behave during the week or to do and say all the right things. It's about accepting the fact that your true identity is found in Christ and that by his grace, you are a child of God. That's all for this week, everybody. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, and I hope to see you on Sunday at The Story. Bye, everybody.